really interesting uh, time, I think. You know, it was fantastic last week. Um, the first healing room, it was so exciting. And, and you can imagine a team that's been probably 18 months just expecting that we're going to open. When we finally did open, it was 2 o'clock and no one came in. And I had a bit of local knowledge. I knew that at 2 o'clock at the railway crossing, on the hour, the, the, uh, the gates go down. So I said, no, give it a couple of minutes. And sure enough, at 2.03 we had our first people come in for prayer. So it was, it was, it was very exciting. And as Mary said, it's already challenging. Having those, you know, when I had my hand, put my hand on Luke and felt that ball moving under my hand, I went, oh, this is already very powerful. These things, they're not, you know, they, they could be just coincidental, couldn't they? Or they really could be just, you know, ways in which as these things happen, hopefully we'll get, you know, really insightful, we'll get a, you know, gain some knowledge around this, the way in, in which the spiritual works and operates. And that's what I want. I want to know in Jesus' name how to defeat these things. So I thought it was already such an interesting, exciting prayer time. But of course, there's a, a downside to these things when you are, when you do, in a sense, put your head up. There's, there's someone that wants to chop it off and it's no sort of coincidence. I think that we are unwell. You know, I was saying to Mary just before we opened, I was going through some, um, some documents and some letters that I used to send out to the, the team in Newtown, the Newtown Healing Rooms. And, and it seemed that every time I'd write them a letter, I'd be saying something like, I've never been so sick. Yeah, it just seems so ironic that, you know, with, with a healing ministry, there's this, in a sense, this oppression that you have to fight. So I, I encourage us as a team to really be sort of, you know, just, just claiming. I really mean it, claiming in Jesus' name that he is more powerful. I really believe that. I really believe that we, we need to, you know, it's not just a, um, something we do on the day, but it's a lifestyle of actually just claiming, claiming that we are whole and healed in Jesus' name. So you know I'm excited about it and I think it's fantastic, not only because I've had the opportunity to pray for people but I've experienced time and again the healing touch, the healing power of God. And thank you Melissa just for that, you know, claiming that today as, as a congregation. Yes, we do need to um, be just claiming and, and by faith saying, Lord, we want to be healed, we, we, we don't want to be defined by these rotten little bugs, you're bigger. You're infinitely bigger. So, and, and I just, I was saying again to the team um, as, when we were praying this morning, I was saying, you know, God's chosen this church for this healing ministry. He could have chosen any number of churches up the mounds, but he chose this church. And I think it's really important for us to, as a church, just really take that on. Wow, thank you, Lord. Let's, let's not just take it on, but let, let's experience it. Let's, it's so much better when you can actually, when you have had a healing touch from the Lord, it's so much better to be praying for people. There's just a little bit more faith when you, when you know you've experienced the, the healing hand of God yourself. So I, I love that. And today we're looking at the part the cross plays in healing. And thank you, Lil, for this. It's, it's something that, um, it, it's just been, a, for me personally, just really exploring that this week. It's been really important to, to see the part the cross plays. A little study says that healing is a direct result of the atoning work of Jesus, that is his suffering and the cross. And it's not something we often think about when we think about the cross, that healing is part of the cross. 
You know, before the healing room sessions, we take communion together many times. And that's not just because we want to, you know, do what Christians do, but we want to remind ourselves the fact that we're there praying for people in Jesus' name is only because of the cross. Because he went to the cross, we can offer healing in Jesus' name. And apart from the usual benefits of taking communion together, which is always a beautiful thing to do and and the Lord commands it, it's actually a, a, a reminder of a powerful event that happened long ago. You know, it's, I don't know about you, but I find it really interesting visiting somewhere that there's been something astoundingly powerful happen in the past. And on one of our trips to the, um, to the States, we went to somewhere called Craters of the Moon National Monument in Idaho. And it's a phenomenal area. It's, it's an enormous, it's about 3,000 square kilometres of a former lava flow. And they have these cinder cones. They're just these, this, uh, probably about a couple hundred feet high, and and they're just just you know cinder that's just collected. You've got these uh, enormous lava flows. That's close up of the lava, and these really interesting uh, lava tubes where the lava's gone through and cleared, and they're they're enormous. And it's you can scarcely imagine how chaotic and hot it must have been at one time when you're walking there. And I, sometimes, I think sometimes that's a little bit like church, isn't it? That the stories from church read like ancient history. They're exciting, phenomenal, they're powerful, it's chaotic and everyone's on fire. That happened long ago. And it's so different in a sense to a lot of our experience of church, of God today. It was exciting once, but now it's just a monument celebrating something of a former great time in the past. But I found out something really remarkable about the Craters of the Moon National Monument. The volcano there is dormant. It's not extinct. And in fact, they're expecting it to blow any time in the next thousand years. And in fact, the entire area that's volatile, is about the size of New South Wales. So it extends to Idaho, Yellowstone National Park and as I say, it could go up at any time and you think the bang was big in the past. Imagine something the size of New South Wales going up. More explosive than ever in the future. You know, when it comes to many people's expectations of church, few of us think it could be more explosive in the future than in the past. You know, few people expect it to look like the early church and I think that's a pity, particularly when you look at Jesus and Matthew 4.23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. We still teach. We still proclaim the gospel. Why isn't healing considered part and parcel of that. So why is it that that's gone out the door? I think of the, the Old Testament, the, the way God reveals himself as a God who heals, the way that Psalm in Psalm 100, I think it is, that he says, you know, bless the Lord my soul and remember all his benefits, that he forgives my sins and heals all my afflictions. Why does, why does that have to be stopped 2,000 years ago? Why? Why? If it was there before Jesus and, and in Jesus' time, why 
is it that we don't have that today? What, why is it that it's not, for some reason, it's stopped being prevalent? You know, for many years the church was a little more than a monument to something of former great time. Sure, we've got the stories, but in a sense there's no expectation for many people for many centuries that what happened in Jesus' time would happen as church gathered. And that changed in the early 20th century. First the, the Pentecostal movement starting in San Francisco and then various charismatic movements. They exploded on the scene just emphasising why? Why did it have to stop? And just trusting that the presence of the Holy Spirit was still with the church. And sure enough, in many parts of the world, healing in Jesus' name is once again the norm. Praise God. Teaching, proclaiming the gospel and seeing healing. Why was healing, why was it so important that Jesus healed people? If you read the gospels, he was an amazingly powerful teacher. Why wasn't that enough just to be able to preach and teach and convince people that way? Well, the difference with Jesus was that he spoke with authority. You know, prior to our passage in Matthew 8, you've got three chapters of what's called the Sermon of the Mount. And there are three chapters of Jesus' teaching and at the end of that we read this about Jesus. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So, so people listened and responded to his message about the kingdom of heaven being near because he backed it up with evidence of that kingdom being near. The healings were evidence that the kingdom of God had drawn near. And so in chapter 8, this chapter that we're looking at today, we see that, we see evidence of these miracles. First, Jesus touches a man with leprosy and doesn't get leprosy himself, which is what many people would have feared, but he actually casts that leprosy out and heals the leper. Wonderful. What a powerful story. Next, the centurion goes to Jesus on behalf of his sick servant that's still at home. Jesus doesn't even need to go to the servant. He just speaks out healing and right at that moment, the man's healed. And Jesus shows that his power is even far beyond physical healing when he, when he first drives out evil spirits and then even has the power over elements to, to say, storm, stop and calms a raging sea simply by his word. So this is a man who doesn't just speak, but there's power behind his words. And so today's passage, Matthew 8, 16 to 17, you know, it's, it's a passage that drove the pioneers of the Pentecostal and charismatic movements. As they read this, they were just really motivated and inspired to declare that Jesus didn't just carry away sin, but sickness as well. Matthew 8, 16 to 17. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And just as Jesus took up our infirmities and bore our diseases, and then the disciples were able to do that in his name, we too, I believe, can be expectant that Jesus is able to heal every sickness and disease. He still has that ability, that capacity to do that. Now, it's obvious 
that the Jesus of the Bible was a powerful man. It says in 8.16 that he healed all the sick. So for that split second in time, wherever Jesus was, heaven came to earth, the peace of God. There was no sickness, there was no grief, there was no mourning when Jesus physically walked on the earth. Oh, just imagine what that could look like if for just a moment in time in Blackheath no sickness, no grief, no mourning because the church of God is just Jesus' hands and feet here and, and voice here in Blackheath. I can just imagine, you know, with social media what an explosion it would be. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you know, just look what's happening. Bedlam. <laughs> so I can see some really, you know, but I think there's excitement too. Yes, it, it would be chaotic, but boy, wouldn't that be great. If we could just see in Jesus' name that same taking up the infirmities and bearing diseases upon himself and that we see healing released. Well, why can Jesus deliver these multitudes from demon possession? Why can he heal every person that came to him? How can he calm the storm? We're told in verse 17, it was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And I, I know that some of the groups that have met have really struggled and, and sort of you know, really uh, wrestled through this passage. And I think you know, it's a really nice time to teach a little bit about, the, you know, about what's exactly happening here. You know, most of the time when we read about prophets like Isaiah, we think about judgment, harsh judgments, harsh warnings. And that's mostly true for Isaiah that certainly at that time the people of God weren't following God and God was furious and they needed to be warned that God was furious about their lifestyles. And so Isaiah does talk about destruction and chaos and war and this very unexpected character turns up time and time again in Isaiah. Isaiah constantly refers to someone he calls, that God calls my servant he seems like a, a magnificent human indeed. For example, we read that this servant would suffer. This is someone that God loves, obviously, but there would be great suffering. Isaiah 52, 13 to 14. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. There were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So here's this man that God loves and yet this man who suffers greatly. And this part of the Bible, obviously, we can, we can look back and say it bears witness to the, the crucifixion of Jesus. But as Isaiah says, there's a reason behind this suffering. This suffering servant will bring about forgiveness of sins and Isaiah 53 is a wonderful passage. I could have chosen any verse that really does talk about the way in which this suffering servant allows us to be so forgiven of sin. Verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their sins. And so we know that we're set free from the bondage of sin because of this wonderful servant of God. And the early Christians, 
as they read back over Isaiah and saw the life and death of Jesus, they, they without a doubt believed that Jesus was this suffering servant that Isaiah wrote about. But they also recognised something really important about this servant. This servant would operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 42, one. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So this servant would have the spirit of God upon him. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, not like the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is an infrequent visitor to Israel. But through Isaiah, there's going to be someone who has the Spirit of God upon him. And we know this about Jesus, don't we? We know Jesus himself, when he went to Nazareth and he preached in the synagogue, he opened up the scroll and he read from the part where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And we know that Jesus rolled up the scroll and then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus himself saying, I am the servant. And we know as we look back that not only did Jesus have the spirit of God upon him as he went through Israel, and healed and showed all these wonderful parts of, of, um, of this man filled with the Spirit of God. But he also suffered. And so they saw Jesus as the servant filled with the Spirit that Isaiah spoke of. And, and sure enough, there it is, that, that deliverance, freedom for the prisoners and healing was part of this role. So we can see that, can't we, as, as Jesus went around that, that many, it says in verse 16 of chapter 8, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word, there's deliverance, and healed all the sick, healing. And Matthew adds, that's to fulfil what the prophet said. That's a quote from Isaiah 53.4 and that, as I said, that chapter is full of verses about the death of Jesus. And when the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, sorry, wants to talk about Jesus and, and the way he's been he allowed us to be released from the power of sin by dying on the cross, he quotes Isaiah 53 5. I don't know if I've got that there. There it is. Yeah. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. But he doesn't stop there. They didn't stop there in the, Old, in the New Testament. They actually included, by his wounds we are healed. I just think that's just phenomenal that, that to the first Christians, the two went together. It was the healing of the power of sin and the healing physically was expected by the death of Jesus. Amen to that. He just naturally adds, by his wounds we are healed. Just, they just naturally say that Jesus took up our infirmities, took up our sickness, bore our diseases. By his wounds we were healed, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus can remove that which was broken, that which is flawed, that which is evil and make things new, fixing everything. It's phenomenal. Before he went to the cross, he gave some really beautiful job descriptions to, to his disciples and I, and I really firmly believe 
to us. You know, John 14, I'm not going to read it, but just that passage when we had the commissioning of the healing rooms team last week. It was just something I really felt to say we're believing that in Jesus' name we can still do what he did. I'm not going to read that, but I just believe we will do what Jesus himself has been doing and that's done by the presence of the spirit of truth who is with us and in us, just as Jesus promised. Because Jesus was only one person, he could only do so much and however, he saw that we could do far greater than he was doing as the spirit of God is released upon many believers. We can do what he was doing. All we need to do is ask in his name and Jesus will do today for the same reason he did it back then, to bring glory to God and that's what we want to see. We want to see glory given to God by healing being released and we saw this started at Pentecost as, the, as people were convicted of Peter's words and they were convicted about sin and they repented of their sins in the name of Jesus and I love in chapter 3, Acts 3, that as Peter and John go to the temple, they, they proclaim healing in Jesus' name, forgiveness of sin and healing went together. We don't usually tend to think that when we look at the cross. We focus on, on, on the redeeming work of Christ to set us free from the power of sin and rightly so. Isn't it good to be free from the power of sin? The problem is, that we don't accept because we are free from the power of sin, we're now free to have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Once the build-up of scum is removed from an engine, what happens to that engine? It performs better. And I just see that as such a great analogy of us. We've, there's so much greater capacity in a Christian now that we have the sin removed. However, you know, most Christian engines are fit only for lawnmowers rather than rocket ships. You know, there's a, one of my favourite verses in the Bible is this one here, 32.1, Psalm 32.1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Yeah, that's a, a, a response from David. He had his confession in Psalm 51 have mercy upon me, Lord. And that was you know, through his sin with Bathsheba. And this is his response, Psalm 32, to that. He feels so released from that sin and that burden that he felt committing that sin with Bathsheba and, and was it Uriah was murdered. You know, so, so full of sin and guilt. And yet he can say here, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. The actual translation, and, and Charles Spurgeon loved this word because that word blessed doesn't really cut it. That word should be in states of blessednesses. What's he saying there? He is actually saying not only is he released from the power of sin, but he's, every area of his life experiences the blessing of God. Every single area, not just the guilt that he feels for sinning. He's, he's aware that every part of his life is touched and the power and blessing of God is there for him in droves. States of blessednesses are there for Christians. Don't forget that. I think this is just phenomenal. Too often 
I think so many people think of Christianity as just, you know, it's something to do with sin. As if somehow I feel guilty and then I can feel better if I, if I repent. But it's not about that. It's as we have repented, we are freed up, the scum's gone. God wants to flow through us to bless the world around us. If you think of a combustion engine, sure, you could stick it in a lawnmower, couldn't you? Imagine if that's the only purpose they ever had for the combustion engine. Put it in a lawnmower. All you can do is mow a lawn with it. Sure, it's a great purpose and many of us are really grateful for the combustion engine, but imagine if that they stopped there with the combustion engine. We know, you know, if you put it in a V12 Jaguar, you'll fly, you know, you'll actually fly in a plane because of the combustion engine. In fact, you can go to the moon in weeks. You know, such is the power of the combustion engine. The sky is literally the limit. And I think as we think about what the Lord has done for us, let's not just put it in a lawnmower. It's actually, it should allow us to be in states of blessednesses. Every area of our life is there for God to flow in power. Peter and the first believers, they, they changed the world because they believed Jesus is the promised servant who released us from sin and released us to, to have the power of God flowing through us. He hasn't just freed us from sin, we delivered and the power of God is there to flow in our lives. We're forgiven by the precious blood of the Lamb. That scum is gone from our lives. Now that power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us can be ignited in the name of Jesus. I love that, the power of the Holy Spirit can be ignited as we say in the name of Jesus. Now, collectively, church can still be like that. Got the potential to still explode as miracles occur, as little bits of heaven appear as two or three are gathered. Acts of, where is it? Okay, Acts 2.39, you know. This is Peter talking at Pentecost. He's just had the Spirit of God come upon him. And I believe he prophesies, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Why did it have to stop? I don't believe it stopped. I don't believe just because people haven't seen it that we should believe that God isn't going to do these beautiful things anymore in the name of Jesus. In fact, I think we need, as, as the Christian community, that's just in a sense so rejected because of our opinions or our views, you cannot, you cannot doubt the power of God when you see evidence of that power. You know, sure, we, 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 we're known for that negative, our negative views, morality, that sort of stuff, but what about the positive of the miraculous? You know, what about this, this Jesus died not just to forgive our sins, but to bear every sickness upon himself. Already my faith is being stretched with this healing ministry and I love that. I, I need my faith to be stretched daily and I just really believe there's so much more to come. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. It's so apt to be saying, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask, all, than we, all we can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. You know, my faith's being stretched and that's a good thing. And I pray we'll have the faith to believe still. All things are possible for those who believe. But you know, that's a sermon, isn't it? That's a, a nice sermon, but then Jesus backed it up, didn't he, when he preached. And I've just been really torn. What, what do we do now, Lord? As a church who hears these sermons, that hears of a, a remarkable event 2,000 years ago, what on earth do we do to actually get it to today? And I believe it is a step of faith. I believe, you know, for many of us that have come here today, we are not feeling fantastic. Lord, that first song we sang, remember your people, remember your children. As we were singing, I just sort of felt that sort of, I don't know about you, but just that, come on Lord, I'm, I'm sick of being sick. I really am. I'm really, I'm just, it just does not seem compatible to a sermon on healing and wholeness if I'm standing up here coughing and spluttering, which I, praise God, I didn't. But, you know, it's just, it just seems that as we, we're sort of going forward, we, we're going forward with, you know, some opportunities to take a step of faith. As I don't know about you, I just would like to do that right now as a way of saying, God, remember us. Here we are, we, we don't just want them to be wonderful words. We want to see it backed up with your power. That's what I want. I don't just want to sort of finish with you know, what might have been, I hope, a, an encouraging sermon and then we just go about our days and don't expect to see any change. I want to take a step of faith right now and say, God, I'm, I do not like being unwell. I do not like talking about healing, wondering if I'm going to have a coughing fit. I want to stand on your name. In Jesus' name I say no. Do you say no? No, I'm sick of being sick. I'm sick of this. I, I didn't sort of, you know, I, I, I don't want that to be my experience. And so I'm just going to go and stand here. I'm going to ask the band to come up and sing the last song. And if you sort of feel, I'm sick of it. Just come and stand with me. You know, it's no big deal really, is it? But it might just be something that's a big deal to God to see a church say, you know, we are sick, Lord. We, we don't just want to be the church that's sort of known to have a healing ministry and yet we're all sick. We actually made a point of coming and standing and saying, Lord, no, we, we don't just want them to be words. We want it to actually be evident in our lives. So I'm just, I'm just going to come as we sing the song. If you just feel that really speaks to you, I'm going to just take a step of faith. I don't care. I'm going to go and stand out the front and then I'm going to pray for, you know, for us as a church once we've sung, that somehow it's not just words but it's actually an experience of the touch of God in our lives which overflows to our community around us. So will you lead us in a song and I really do encourage anybody who wants to come forward just to say, no, I'm, I'm taking a step to come and do that now.